You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. This morning, I'm going to be talking to you about an encounter with the Gestapo, immigration and yoghurt. So, an encounter with the Gestapo, immigration and yoghurt. Are we okay with that? We got those, we got those three in mind as we, as we set. I mean, it's going to be based in the Bible, so just let's, let's start with that. But we're going to be talking about an encounter with the Gestapo, immigration and yoghurt. But first, I have a question, and my question is, what do Christians believe? And I'm going to want a little bit of feedback, so like, hands up. If, if I was, um, I don't know, my English teacher always used to say, if you were an alien from another planet and you needed this explaining from, from kind of point scratch, um, point scratch, that's not a phrase, um, point zero, um, what would be your answer? So, if I was an alien from another planet, and some people have said that I might be, um, what do Christians believe? Can anyone give me an answer? Like one sentence. Can anyone? Jesus died for us. Okay, any other, any other answers? Have we got any other answers? Jesus is God. If we believe in him, we will have eternal life. Okay, are we, are we okay with that? Have we got any, have we, any of us got any improvement on, improvement's the wrong word. Any of us got any other angles to, to put in there? Or are we okay with, with, um, that Jesus died for us? Jesus is God. And if we, if we believe in him, if we put our faith in him, we'll have eternal life. If we were to sum that up into a sentence, we'd be okay with that. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Right. So we'll go with that and we will take that as our definition for this morning. We're off to a good start. The second question is, how do Christians behave? (laughs) There we go. That's why we need this sermon. So we'll just, we'll just sit on that. We'll sit on that question for a little bit. It was half rhetorical, but badly is a, is a good definition for that. So we'll sit on that for a little bit. Um, so we've got our definition of, of what we believe and kind of um, how we behave and, and a kind of recognition that n- not always do we line up with, with what we believe. Not always are our actions in line with what we believe. Can any of us... I won't ask for hands. That'd be a bit awkward. Um, and I've got down here that discipleship is essentially behavior informed by belief. How what we believe affects the day that the, the life that we live day by day. Our everyday actions ought to be informed and affected by what we believe. So we're going to go from there, from that question to an encounter with the Gestapo. And hopefully my technology is not going to fail me this morning. It's already locked, so that's a bad start. Um, But I'm going to read you. um, You may have heard of this guy. You may know about him. You may know um, some of the stuff that he did in his life. But I'm going to read you a little bit of a biography, and we'll be skipping through um, to some relevant bits. So this guy was born on February the 4th, 1906, the son 
of a university professor and leading authority on psychiatry and neurology. His more remote ancestors were theologians, professors, lawyers, and artists. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In 1928, he was sent as a curate to Barcelona for a year. And in 1930, at the age of 24, he became a lecturer in systematic theology in Berlin University. Who at the age of 24 would be ready to be a systematic theology lecturer at a university? Not sure so much about that. Um, in October 1933, um, after six months of, of experiences, the church struggle in Germany, he decided to leave Berlin for London, where as a pastor he ministered to two congregations and tried to explain to his British friends the true character of the German church struggle. And we have a little bit of a local connection there because one of his great friends was the Bishop of Chichester. So it's not too far away from kind of where we are today. Um, in 1934, in Denmark at a conference, he was asked, what will you do when war comes? And his answer was, I shall pray to Christ to give me the power not to take up arms. And in June 1939, American friends got him out of Germany, but soon he felt that he could not stay there, but he had to return to his country. He had this weight of responsibility, and if you read more about his story, he has this weight of responsibility that actually he can't leave his country when kind of what is happening is happening, and, and we know about the history of, of Germany in, in those times. He was arrested by the Gestapo in the house of his parents on April the 5th, 1943. In prison and concentration camps, Bonhoeffer, greatly inspired by his courage, his unselfishness and his goodness, all those who came into contact with him. He even inspired his guards with respect, some of whom became so much attached to him that they smuggled out of prison his papers and poems written there and apologized to him for having to lock his door after the round in the courtyard. And then in February 1945, when the Gestapo prison in Berlin was destroyed by an air raid, Bonhoeffer was taken to the concentration camp of Butchenwald, and from there to other places until he was executed by special order of Himmler at the concentration camp at Flossenburg on April 9th, 1945, just a few days before it was liberated by the Allies. And now, that's an amazing story kind of in itself. But Bonhoeffer wrote a book. He wrote a lot of things. He wrote a lot of poems and, and books and other things. But he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And I think if we're going to trust anyone's words on the cost of discipleship, it's someone who took their response to Jesus' message to that, to that point and, and was, in essence, a modern-day martyr. And he wrote about the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. And he says this, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door, at which a man 
must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs the because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And at what cost, and what has cost God so much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. You see, an encounter with the Gestapo, as I've titled this section, teaches us that discipleship requires a lot from us. Discipleship is not easy. There's a cost to it. And that's why as we're talking about disciplines of disciples for these next few weeks, we recognize that this is not an easy path that we're heading down. And actually, this is a path that we need one another to help us in, and, and I'm going to be sharing more about the aspect of community through some of, some of what I'm talking about this morning. <sighs> Following Jesus is hard. Anyone agree with that? Following Jesus is hard. Bonhoeffer didn't just write about it. He lived it, and he died for it. I won't ask for hands, but how many of us would be willing... How many of us would be willing to go to that place to die for it? So, back to our question. How do Christians behave? Or perhaps I can put it another way. What is it that marks a disciple? What is it that makes a disciple look different from anyone else? you just roll the bass off a little bit, it'll stop doing that. If we have only a hope for the future, then why Jesus commands? Why his life? Why his call to discipleship? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, tells us, to go into all the world and make disciples, to make followers, to make people who live like Jesus lived, to make people who live a little bit more every day like Jesus. Not to make decisions, not to give people um, just a hope for the future, but you can live however you want today. Actually to make disciples, to change our lives so that we become more and more in step with who Jesus is day by day. I read in a book as I was preparing for this, it's easy to love your enemies in heaven. You ever thought about that? It's easy to love your enemies in heaven. It's not so easy to love your enemies here and now. And when I was thinking about this, I kind of thought the, the passage, the famous passage, um, in John's Gospel, where, where Jesus says he's come to give us life, and life in all its fullness. 
And I focused on that word life for a second and I thought, that's interesting because life doesn't begin when we die. He's not come to give us death in all its fullness, but life. And life has an element of today and tomorrow and a year from now and 10 years from now and carries on, continues on into eternity. And we have that hope, we have that belief, we have that future, but we have a life here and now. And can I just say that it matters how we live that life. It matters that we look more and more like Jesus day by day. And that's what discipleship is. So we're going to talk about immigration. Hot topic. Um, But I'm going to try not to mention Brexit. Apart from that one. (laughs) Have you ever been to another country? I want hands here. Have you ever been to another country? Okay. So, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. If you're struggling, you can put your other hand up. You can swap. That's fine. A bit of exercise never hurt anyone. Okay. Keep your hands up if you've been outside of Europe. Okay, so we've got quite a lot of hands still up. Okay, keep your hands up if you've lived in another country for, say, longer than two months. And keep your hands up if you've lived in another country that doesn't speak your language. And finally, if that country was outside of Europe. French Canada doesn't count. (laughs) Okay, not many of us, but you can put your hands down now, that's great. Or you can keep them up for the rest of the message, I don't mind. Can anyone anyone tell me, anyone who had their hands up there right at the end, who stick stick your hands up again one second. China. Sorry, Azerbaijan. Saudi Arabia. Wow, there's some diverse countries in here. We could go on for a little while, but we're not going to. Um, there's a difference, isn't there, between language, culture. Sometimes there's an element of, of loneliness. Perhaps you felt that. Um, of identity. Of who am I? Where, I knew where I fit in the world when I was over here, but now I'm over here. I don't quite know where I fit. I don't quite get um, into the, and there's a there's kind of a growing period where you where you kind of get used to um, living in that. I'll try not to touch that again. And um, we're okay. We're okay. We're managing. We'll start again. I was thinking about. I had a trip to Rome, and I was only there for a week. Okay, so you know it wasn't that it wasn't that long. But I was there on my own. And, um, and I was, when I was there, I was having to find this, um, this apartment that was an Airbnb, so it didn't look like it was a hotel. Um, it was difficult to find. Um, I was, I was struggling to, to get around. I think I went to see the Colosseum about five times because I just kept getting lost. I had a lot of ice cream, which was nice. Um, (laughs) but things were different. I didn't get the last.
Um, are we there? Yeah, there we go. Google has this little app, and you can hold it up against the sign, and it'll translate the sign on in like real time in front of you. It's incredible. Um, anyway, that aside, um, things were different. Language, culture. Um, I, I was there wasn't so much loneliness because I wasn't there for for a long time, but. I found when you usually go ab abroad, you can sit and eat a meal for quite a long time. You're having conversation, you're having coffees, you're having whatever. I was done in like 15 minutes because I'm there on my own, going for a meal, think, right, this is me for the next hour and a half. And then 15 minutes later, I'm done and bored. So um, it, it, things just a, a bit different. Um, Stanley Halvas, an author and uh, thinker, talks about this, this kind of idea of immigration. He calls, he calls Christians resident aliens. Resident aliens. People who are resident in a place that is not their home. And he says, resident aliens see something which otherwise cannot be seen without Christ. That's our position. That's who we are. And so, in other words, we're immigrants. We're outsiders. We don't fit in. We don't fit into the pattern of the world. We know something other than the culture of this land. Philippians 3.20 puts it like this. It says, we're citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I want to think about that question again. How do Christians behave? See, if our behavior is out of line with our belief, we start to question our citizenship. Are we trying to fit in? Or are, are we living as witnesses to the kingdom of God? I don't know. And this is, this is where we get onto yogurt. Now, you might wonder why yogurt um, is part of this. But I like these yogurts. These are my favorite yogurts. As the staff, the staff will know that these are my favorite yogurts. I don't like the green ones because the package is green. You can't see what's inside. They could put anything in there. You can see through this. You know there's a little bit of um, what I call fruit compost at the bottom. Um, it's not what it's called for anyone who wants to know. Um, and you can, I trust what's inside this yogurt. Anyway, this yogurt is called an Oikos yogurt. It's called an Oikos yogurt because... I'm going to put this on here, and if it goes bad, I'm going to clean it. It's called an Oikos yogurt because it's a Greek word. I'm going to have some because it's nice. <laughs> I'll help you remember as well that time when Chris had, yo Chris had yogurt on stage. Um... It's called an oikos yogurt. An oikos has a semantic range in the Greek. Oikos doesn't mean yogurt at all. It actually means house or household or family unit. It has that kind of, kind of semantic range. Maybe because they put four in a pack, it's like a family yogurt. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know how these marketing things work. Maybe they just thought it was a good name. I don't know. But Oikos has this semantic range. It kind of means community. See, when they talked about the church in the first century, um, or in the, in the Bible particularly, they, there wasn't, there's not so much of that mention of the word church 
in the New Testament. It's there a little bit, but it's not, it's not this established thing as it is today. And we talk about church. Some people talk about it as a building. Others talk about it as the, um, as the community of disciples, a community of, of believers. But Oikos kind of already had this sense about it. The Oikos was the family unit. The Oikos was the community unit where you would gather together. And even our word economy comes from the Greek word oikos, linked with the Greek word for rules or law, which is nomos. Oikos, nomos, economy. Can you see how that links together? Oikonomos, economy. Can you see how we get from there, yeah? Okay, great. Quality. So this is your kind of, economy was like your rules of the household. Okay, so take that for a second. Think about the community of God, the community of believers as the oikos. Think about the economy of the community, the economy of the kingdom of God, the economy of grace that looks different to the way that the world is. Think about immigration, the resident aliens quote that we we had earlier, that we are a people who are different to the people and the pattern of this world. We know something other than what this world knows. And so we enter into this oikos. We enter into this community, if you will. And there's a head, head of an oikos. The, the head of the oikos was called the kurios. Kurios is the Greek word for Lord. So whenever we see the word Lord in the New Testament, it's a kurios. And so you would have the, the Lord of the house, the Lord of the manor, if you will. And we have Kurios, Lord, Jesus, the head of our household, the head of our community, the head of our family as a church. And I just wanted to go over to a couple of verses in, um, in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's one of my favorite chapters um, in the Bible. There's a lot of judgment in there, so maybe that says something about me. I don't know. So 1 Corinthians 11 and verses 20 to 21, and then we'll skip down a few more later on. Verse, starting at verse 20 says, So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. In other words, you're not following the economy of the household. You're not following the rules of how we do things here. You're not following the way that the kingdom of God ought to be. It says, for that reason, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're having. It's not a supper in honor of the Lord of the household because you're not following the rules of the household. You're not doing things the way that we do them. Actually, some of you go ahead with your own private supper. Some of you focus on yourself and have your own meal. And that looks more like the system of the world and the way that the world does things than it looks like the kingdom of God and the economy of the kingdom of God. And so then in verse 22, he says, Don't you have homes, oikos, to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. 
And then verses 33 and 34, I'll just read. It says, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat at the oikos, at the household, at the family. So that when you meet together, may it not result in judgment. See, what's going on there is that there's a community in which we gather. There's a community in which we share together. And what's not happening in Corinth, what's not going right in Corinth, is they're not sharing with one another. They're not doing community the way that God expects us to do community. When we think about the way that disciples should live, when we think about the way that our our faith in Christ ought to affect the way that we live, this gives us a good example of how it goes wrong, of how we take something that's supposed to be in remembrance of Christ and we make it about ourselves and we remove the two from each other. See, I think community is a discipleship marker. 1 Corinthians 10.17, Paul says that we're one body because we all share in one bread. We're one body. We're a community with one another. Community is a marker of discipleship. Acts 2.44-46 talks about how the disciples had everything in common. They shared what they had with one another. See, because... Community is a marker of discipleship. Second Corinthians, I'll just go there for a second. Um, Second Corinthians chapter 8, um, verses 13 and 14. Paul's talking about um, an offering that's going to be taken up for, for a body of believers. And he says, Our desire is not that others may be re- relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. And we've heard about the things that are going on um, in Pakistan. And guys, the goal is equality. It's not so that we will be hard-pressed and that we would struggle so that they can have plenty. But actually, among the wider church, among the wider body of believers, that there may be Equality among the brothers and sisters. Community actually extends just from our own body, from ourselves, from this church, and extends outwards, extends out to how we live with those among us, those around us, our friends, our family, people in the, in the wider church, people outside, and it, it extends to those who are not yet followers as well. Because this is how we show that the economy of God is different to the economy of the world. This is how we show that, the, that how God expects us to live and what God says about us is different to how the world often perceives itself and the world often lives. So, an encounter with the Gestapo, immigration, and yogurt, I think, teach us three things teach us that following Jesus is hard. It requires us to live differently. But actually, it's better to do it together 
in community. I want to leave you with Hebrews 10.25, which tells us not to give up meeting together. I'll just read it quickly. 24 and 25, actually, let me do that. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, we sacrifice our own path. We admit that we can't do it alone. We celebrate the diversity among us. We disagree well. These are markers of discipleship. This is why we need community. And finally, the, the one thought that I want to leave you with is it's the only model that we have. If we look in the New Testament, we look in God's word to us, it's the only model that we actually have for how we ought to live that we love one another as he has loved us. Isn't that what Jesus says? Isn't that what he says? By this, men will know that you're my disciples. If we have love for one another. So I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to ask, um, ask Tyler and the band to, to come up. And, uh, and they're going to lead us in a song but why won't you stand with me thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church one church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton to get the latest news or for any other information check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk